Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. Good to see you on Easter Sunday. Excited to be in God's house, to worship with you, to know God's presence is here, to know that He's able to minister to the needs that we have, that we bring, to know that He receives our praise. The Bible says that He is enthroned on the praises of His people. And so we rejoice in that knowledge that for over 2,000 years, the church has joined together in order to rejoice in the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has done, in order to rejoice in His resurrection, and to know that He has made a way for you and for me to be reconciled to God, that we bear the guilt and the pain of our sin no more. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, really good to be with you in the Lord's house today and to celebrate uh, with you what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. We're going to look at the scriptures this morning from John chapter 20 verses 1 through 18 in just a few moments. Uh, over this last week or so, last seven days, we've been taking you on uh, a journey uh, from Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday today. On last Sunday, Brother Jay shared uh, with us from the Word of the Lord uh, on that journey on Palm Sunday and what that meant. Sister Autumn shared on Friday about uh, the crucifixion. Brother Noel shared yesterday downtown. Uh, and today we will look at John uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18 at the resurrection on that first uh, Sunday morning after the Lord rose uh, from the dead. If you will, stand with me and let's read the word of the Lord together. Starting at verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had, come, who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. 
And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this message in Scripture that's not simply a story of old, that's not simply uh, something that has been passed down, Lord, but that is true, that impacts us, that impacts our life today, how we live, uh, how we go about our responsibilities, how we look at the future, the gospel, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his time in the tomb, and his resurrection on that first Easter Sunday morning, Lord, impacts us, impacts what we do, impacts how we hope in the future, impacts how we perceive the world events that transpire around us. The resurrection impacts everything about us. And Lord, I pray today that you would help us as we look to your word and as we look to the message, which I believe that you have for us today, O oh Lord, that you would speak to us clearly and plainly about the calling that you have upon us as your church in this day to do exactly what Mary did, which was to go and tell the things which she had seen and the things which she had come to know. And so, Lord, I pray by the power of the Spirit that you would help us both to receive this message into our heart, but also to live it out faithfully before you. Help us, Lord. By the power of the Spirit, be faithful hearers and doers of the word. So we thank you this morning. We stand in awe of your power and glory on this Resurrection Sunday. We thank you for the opportunity we have to worship together. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Before we move into the, the message proper, I want to share with you, uh, if you're wondering about the body of Christ and what it means for you and I to gather together on a Sunday morning and why it's important for you and I to gather, why it's important uh, for us to come together in this type of setting, to worship together and to gather together, there is a, a resource for you uh, out at uh, the back of the sanctuary for you to pick up and to take home and think about the importance of what it means to gather together regularly with uh, the body of Christ. So from John uh, chapter 20 and verse uh, 1 through 18, what we have read uh, this morning is John's picture, John's story of 
the resurrection. John writing for us. Again, you can read about the resurrection in each of the gospel accounts and each uh, author in the four gospel accounts has uh, a, a, a story that they want to tell and a people that they're trying to reach. And so each of them are telling portions of the story that they feel like are important for their audience to know and understand. And so what's nice is that you have four individuals who are telling the story and were able to put together the pieces and know uh, fairly clearly what happened during that last week and that, uh, that last week of Jesus' life, and particularly what happened on the day of the resurrection. But we don't want to get in the weeds so much here and miss the point of what uh, Resurrection Sunday, what Easter Sunday is all about, and it is about the gospel. And so I want to start with that very point with you this morning. If you're wondering here, you haven't been with us many Sundays, maybe it's your first time in church in a long time, maybe it's your first time back in church after a couple years of being away, maybe you need to be refreshed on what exactly is the gospel, because Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is wrapped up in the understanding and the importance of the gospel message. And the gospel, if we were to kind of boil it down into all our theology, is this, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And what that means is he came to save you and me because you and me fit in that category. Before we have known the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we were dead in our iniquities and our trespasses. Essentially, we didn't have relationship with God. We were dead in our sins, the Bible says. And Jesus Christ came to save sinners. This is why it's called the good news. It is the good news. Because all humanity is under the curse of sin, and sin must be punished. And Jesus, being fully God and fully man, willingly took upon himself, himself, the id, who was fully innocent, he took upon himself our punishment in order to appease the wrath of God. And so everyone who believes that the Lord Jesus Christ took upon himself that punishment, who died upon the cross, who was buried, and the third day rose from the dead. Everyone who believes that shall be saved. The gospel is that simple. Amen? That's why we gather today, and it's actually why we gather every Sunday, because we are eager to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. As Christians began to celebrate week after week the resurrection of the Lord, they did so on the first day of the week, on Sunday. They gathered together regularly and faithfully wherever it may have been, in buildings dedicated to worship, in houses, in caves, in thickets. Wherever it was, the body of Christ wanted to be together in order to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ church historian is quoted as saying, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. If Christ is risen, that is our focus, that is our understanding, that's what we're looking for. But if Christ is not risen, we are to be a pitied people. So the resurrection really is the linchpin of history, what hooks everything together. And so this morning, out of 
many different ways we could share the word of the Lord. Uh, my goal today is not to convince you of the validity of the resurrection. If you need that type of information, I'd point you to a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, it's a good book that walks through the evidence, the true evidence of the resurrection. But the resurrection has to be something that is more than just intellectually acknowledged. It must be something that is both acknowledged in our head, but also resident in our heart, that if we believe it, we must do something with it. And so at the outset of the message this morning, what I want to encourage you if you're here is to truly believe and embrace the gospel, that Jesus died for you except for yourself, the atoning sacrifice of Christ as a payment for your sin. If you believe, the scripture says you'll be saved. And if you believe, if you truly believe, it will change you. It will change you. The gospel changes you. It will change you. Amen. And so we read this passage in John chapter 20. Christ has been crucified on what we refer to as Good Friday. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus buried Jesus according to Jewish custom. And then we come to that first Sunday and Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. The stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. Uh, Mary Magdalene was this woman in whom Jesus had cast out seven demons according to Luke chapter 8 and verse 2. And she becomes one of his very faithful followers. And right at the outset of this message, what we are able to see is it doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter your history, where you come from. When you encounter Jesus, encounter the Lord, there is this transformation and he's able to use you for his glory. He didn't hold Mary's past against her. He didn't hold her sins against her. He didn't do any of that, but the Lord uses her. And when we read this story, what we see is that the Lord used her in a very mighty and powerful way. And as Mary encounters this scenario, as she's at the tomb, there's a couple of questions that the Lord asks her. The first question that the Lord asks is, woman, why are you weeping? This is the second time that Mary has been asked this question in a matter of seconds. As we read in verse 13, first, the angels who appeared to her asked her this question, and secondly, Jesus asked her this question. Now, when Jesus is there, if Jesus is asking you a question, you might as well tell the truth, okay? Uh, so don't try to Code it over. Don't try to say what you think he wants to hear. But if Jesus asks a question, he already knows the entire situation, which makes Jesus' question here very curious because Jesus commands the angels and the angels had already asked. He knew the angels had already asked. He knew what she had responded to the angels. So why did he ask her a second time? Woman, why are you weeping? He knew Mary's answer, which she had already responded, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And she gives him the same response as the angels. Where is the body of my Lord? So what were the angels and Jesus trying to get Mary to see? We look in this passage a little closely, I think 
that Mary was seeking a lifeless body instead of a living God. In Luke 24 and 5, the question's asked, why do you seek the living among the dead? See, we could go to Jerusalem and we could uh, travel there and we could look in a tomb that they believe was the tomb the Lord was placed in. And you know what we'll find on this Resurrection Sunday? The same thing that people have found for 2,000 years, that that tomb is empty. There's no body that is laid there. That tomb has nothing in it except the dust that has accumulated because the Lord is risen. You will not find the living among the dead. Mary, in looking and talking to the Lord, somehow could not recognize the Lord in the midst of her sorrow. He was standing there right in front of her, and yet she did not know it was him. You see, there's times when we lose something precious to us and we can simply get stuck. Mary had heard the Lord's teaching. She believed that he was the Messiah. She heard him talk about what was going to happen, how the resurrection was going to happen. And and, and plainly, even as it got closer to the Lord's crucifixion, that he was going to die and rise again. And yet she still was not expecting the risen Lord. When she saw him on the cross and she saw him die and she saw them lay him in the tomb, she felt like that was it. What he had taught, what she had learned, what she had understood did not register in her mind or in her heart and she was not expecting a risen Lord. I think in our day we live in a time when spiritual battles in the mind are more prevalent than what I have ever seen in my lifetime. And church people and pastors are not excluded. You see, there's a time to sorrow and there's a time to look for Jesus when our our hearts are heavy with our own personal grief. It is time for us to look to the Lord. We have to find hope in his Word, Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, that even after this difficult challenge, this difficult season, Jeremiah is actually writing this when the children of Israel are about to walk through one of the most difficult seasons of their life. And the Lord's saying, walk through it, but on the other side, I have a plan to prosper you, to give you hope and to give you a future. Psalm 42 and 5 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Isaiah 40 and 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Colossians 3 and 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God and we will be, and, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What these scriptures are saying to us is even though we walk through difficult times like Mary walked through difficult times, she wasn't expecting a risen Lord. Her heart was challenged. It was despairing. She was wondering, where is the Lord? She was looking for the dead among the dead, not the living among the dead. 
When our heart despairs, when our heart is challenged, the word of the Lord tells us to hope in God. Put our hope and our trust in Him. Philippians 4 and 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I've thought a lot about our life and as believers, what it means to live in a day such as what we live in, a time in which it seems the world is going haywire, a time in which people are making up, down, and down, up, and we don't know which way to go, and society and culture are bouncing back and forth, and there's this bitterness and ugliness, and it's, a, and it's erupting, and what is the church's response? How do we not get caught up in that? How do we not become part and parcel of that in our lives as believers? We have to meditate on these things, whatever is true, whatever is noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report things that are praiseworthy, meditate on these things. We've often been programmed to meditate on other things. We meditate on what comes through the news to us. What's the next offer on Twitter going to be? What is the next move in the Ukraine going to bring? Is there going to be enough food on the table? What are the prices going to be next week? Because if you flip on the television and you hear the news, is what you are bringing into your home and what you're bringing into your life, is that good and lovely and pure, praiseworthy? What we scroll through on the internet, is that of good repute? Are those the things that we should meditate on? I'm not trying to bump every, anyone over the head with that, but what I will say is that any of us are susceptible. Any of us can be taken in a direction in which our minds ought not go when we just look constantly at what is going on in society and we don't look to what God's Word says for our future. We don't look to what God's Word says about our hope that will come in the Lord Jesus Christ. We think that the world is falling apart and nothing is going to change, but I can affirm to you today that something is going to change because of the resurrection. Jesus asked Mary a second question. He says, whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? You see, there's only one reason to weep, and that is if Christ has no power. But Jesus was not only a person of words. Have you ever heard or seen or interacted with someone who's just all talk? They talk, 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 but nothing ever happens. Nothing ever changes. Nothing ever transpires. It's just yak, 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 and nothing changes. They don't ever do anything. They just talk about it. But Jesus is not a man who just 
talked about it. He is a God-man of action. You see, there were many prophecies inspired by the Lord in the Old Testament that pointed to what Jesus was going to do. Isaiah 53 and 10 says, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. So this is prophesied much before the Lord ever came on the scene on the earth. Isaiah continues, And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus, uh, referring to the prophetic word that had been spoken in Mark 8 and 31, says the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So there's many other prophecies I could read. Many other times the Lord prophetically spoke about his crucifixion, but Jesus did not simply talk Jesus acted. His words were matched by his power to cause them to come to pass. He said he would suffer, and he did. He said he would be beaten, and he was. He said they would crucify him, and they did. He said that he would be in the tomb three days, and he was. He said he would rise again, and he did. He said he would defeat death, hell, and the grave, and he did. He was a man of both words and action. In your life, like Mary, you may have reason to weep, but the question must be asked, whom are you seeking? If you believe in Christ, you cannot continually weep over your circumstances and situations because there's no hope, because Jesus is the God of all hope. He's not a God of talk, but he is a God of action. When we read through the scriptures, what we see is that we serve a God who speaks and things happen. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke out of a whirlwind. He spoke out of the mouth of a donkey. He spoke by the prophets. He spoke from the mountain. He spoke from the heavens. And when he speaks, things happen. The challenges of your life, the challenge of my life, the difficulties that we face are no match for a God who speaks because when he speaks, things change, things transpire, planets move, waters separate, plants grow, creatures appear, man walks. When he speaks, the dead rise, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead rise, the eyes are open. When God speaks, things transpire. So the question is, whom are you seeking? What is wrong in your life? See, God can speak to you and things will happen. 1 Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack, as some men count slackness. The Lord doesn't speak and not act. But if you're seeking a God with no power, then there is reason to weep. But if you're seeking Jesus, there is no reason to continually remain in your sorrow, wallowing before the tomb, seeking the dead among the dead. But like Mary, 
when the Lord speaks, our response ought to be worship. Jesus calls Mary's name. He says in verse 16, Mary. There is not an immediate revelation to Mary at that point of who Jesus is, but she continues to press for understanding about the Lord, weeping, looking, and asking. And when Jesus speaks her name, her first response when Jesus calls her name is to worship. She says, Rabboni. And the word used here would have been to speak about a, a teacher, but it wouldn't have been to address a teacher directly. It is to say, Master Teacher. She's proclaiming his worth, that he is the master teacher. And she says, Rabboni, and falls at his feet proclamation of Jesus' worth and worship. We wonder what happens in the glories of heaven. The word of the Lord tells us in the New Testament that to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord, be present uh, with the Lord. And so what happens in those moments, and we get a glimpse of that in Revelation chapter 5 when John is seeing the glories of heaven. Verse 11, he says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And it goes on to say that the elders fell down and worshiped. You see, when Jesus speaks your name, as he spoke, Mary, our response ought to be worship before him. In Revelation 1 and 9, John says, Your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. I was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. In other words, what John is saying is, I was in the prison of Patmos. Most likely what had happened in this case is John would have been probably tarred and feathered on the island of Patmos, which was a prisoner's island. So bearing the pain of whatever had been previously done to him, placed on an island by himself, and he says in the midst of this, in the midst of prison, in the midst of torture, in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty, what was I doing? I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I saw one like the Son of Man clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. And he goes on to say, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. This is the response of those who have seen the risen Lord. Mary, the elders, John, all before the Lord in worship because of the things which he has done and being in the presence of God Almighty. I can't remember the song, but there is some song that goes something like this about wanting to get to heaven to shake Jesus' hand. And I can tell you right now, there'll be no handshaking in heaven. There'll be no walking up to Jesus saying, let me shake your hand, partner. There's going to be some falling at his feet and some worshiping while eternity rolls on. There's going to be some bowing down and prostrating ourselves, as the scripture says, as the years edge on before him because of what he has done for us and being in his presence. 
Worship is not simply just thinking about Jesus. Worship is not simply just kind of believing in Jesus. It's not simply reading your Bible. It's not just simply speaking words of prayer to the Lord. All those things are important, but worship is being at the feet of Jesus, recognizing his extraordinary value and infinite power in the might of your, in the midst of your finite frailties. That's worship. Recognizing his awesome power to transform my circumstance and situation for my good and his glory. In this congregation this morning, there may be many of you who are dealing with sickness in your body. Maybe that sickness as a doctor would look at it as they would look at charts and study blood and study what's going on in your body. Maybe that sickness is unto death. And maybe you pray and you pray and maybe you prayed for someone else. Maybe you ask God to heal someone else. Maybe you think about, oh, I prayed and God didn't do anything. I prayed and things and circumstances didn't change. I prayed and you're standing there and you're thinking it's not changing and you're caught up in the sorrow of the circumstance. And I want to encourage you today That we cannot find ourselves in the sorrow of our circumstance, but we must focus our heart toward the hope that is laid up before us. There is a hope that is beyond the comfort of this life. There is a hope that is beyond the health of this life. There is a hope that is beyond the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And that is the transforming power of the gospel. When we read in Hebrews, the great hall of faith, and we see brothers and sisters that were tortured and killed. The Bible says, sawn in two. Have you thought of that one? What must that feel like? Those who were fed alive to animals, burned at the stake, what must it be like? And yet continued on because of the hope that was set before them. That is the power of the resurrection. When we know that power, when we have experienced that grace, we get to the end of this story. These last few words of the Lord, if you have a a red letter Bible, that last few verses in Verse 17, where Jesus speaks, that is actually some of the most difficult words to understand and translate in the entirety of Scripture. It says, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. In essence, Jesus says, stop clinging to me, And go tell what has happened. He's saying, I am not ascending right now. 
Don't hold me down. There is still work to be done, Mary. Go and tell the brethren that I am going to ascend to the Father. In essence, what Jesus did for Mary Magdalene is he commissioned her to go and tell what she had seen, what she had heard, and her experience with Jesus. So imagine the story going on at the tomb. The woman comes seeking a dead body. She comes with spices that had been prepared in order to help the body uh, decompose in a way that wouldn't that would be uh, fitting for someone who she called a Messiah who she called her Lord she comes ready to prepare the body for its eternal burial resting place whatever you want to say there And in the midst of weeping and in sorrow, she meets the Lord. She's transformed by his presence. And he not only just is in awe of his presence and worshiping him, but now he says, go and tell. Picture the progression. Us in our iniquity and sin and our sorrow and our difficulty and our challenge. We meet the Lord in a real way and Jesus encounters us and he transforms us and out of our hearts, the Bible says, flow these rivers of living water, these rivers of worship unto the Lord to where we just fall down at his feet and worship him. And Jesus says, continue to worship me, but you can't stay at my feet. Go and tell. There will be a time when an eternity will be at his feet. We'll worship him forever and ever. But right now we are commissioned to go and tell. We are commissioned to go in Hollymead, go in Forest Lakes, go in Crozet, go in East High, go in Charlottesville. We're commissioned to go in other places of Virginia. We're commissioned to go into Washington, D.C. Some of you may go and you may preach to politicians. God help you. God may call you to get on a plane and he may call you to go to another part of the world and to preach the gospel. And there are faithful missionaries who are doing that while you and I continue to have breath. There is this commission to go and tell what good things the Lord has done for you and for me. This is what Easter is about. This is what the resurrection is about. The work of Christ on the cross that saves us and compels us to go and tell that he is alive. Acts 4 and 20, when they were called before the authorities and the disciples were sharing the gospel and the authorities wanted them to stop, this is their response. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Today, as you stand with me, the first question to you is, why are you weeping? If you're here this morning and you're in the midst of sorrow, you don't understand it. Something's going on inside. Maybe, Maybe you have lost someone. Maybe there's something going on inside of you. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe you come today with a heavy heart. You don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. You're wondering, will I even make it one more day? Jesus asked you the question, why are you weeping? You see, Mary came to the tomb and Jesus could have appeared in a multiplicity of places. He could have gone right to the disciples. He could have gone and been somewhere else, but he chose to be there with the woman who was weeping. The woman who was sorrowing. And your sorrow 
and what's going on in your life and the things that challenge you, the Lord is there. The question, why are you weeping when there is hope? There is hope for you today. The next question the Lord asks to us is, whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Jesus has the power to transform your circumstance, to transform your life. Sometimes that does not happen the way we hope. But what we do is we trust in the sovereign plan of God to walk us through. That even in the midst of walking through pain, walking through difficulty, that I can have joy, that I have the hope of the Lord ahead of me. And the Lord speaks to you today, if you are in Christ, that this is not a time to simply sit. This is not a time to simply wait. But this is the time to go and to tell. Go and tell. Go and share the message of hope. Go and share what you have seen and heard. Go and share what transformative work the gospel has done in your life. If the gospel has truly transformed you, let's go and tell and rejoice in what God has done. There is a plan. You are here this morning. You are here by the design of the Lord. You are here by the plan of God to be here this morning to hear the gospel message. And so, Lord, we come before you today and we thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and for your grace. And I pray today, God, that you will move by the blessed Holy Spirit. Lord, that where we were, <clears throat> what we thought was going to happen, Maybe things didn't quite work out how we thought they should. Maybe things didn't transpire in our life. Maybe even right now, our life is not going so great. If things aren't so hot with us. There is a transforming power of the gospel that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though I go through it, though I have to walk through it one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, though I'm in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because Jesus is right there with me. <clears throat> Knowing that Jesus is with us is a comfort. But truly knowing who Jesus is, the God who spoke the universe into existence, the one whose design and creative plan is so glorious and so wonderful that we cannot even imagine it. He is the one who we are seeking. The one who is actually on Calvary's cross. The one whose blood was actually shed. The one who was actually beaten. The one whose body was flogged. The one who was nailed to that cross whose blood streamed down. The one who proclaimed it is finished. The one whose lifeless body was put in a tomb. The one who on the third 
day rose again. That is the Jesus. That power, that might, that strength, that is who we are seeking. That one who is able to walk with us. That one who is able to strengthen us, comfort us, give us peace. That is who we are seeking. And every time we meet the Lord, every time in the scriptures, when Jesus encounters us, when we see the beauty and glory of Jesus in his fullness, when we see him high and lifted up and we worship him, there is a commission to go and to tell. That is not just a preacher's commission. That is not just an evangelist's commission. That is not just a teacher's commission. That is your commission and my commission. If we are in Christ, to say to those who have not heard, there is a Jesus who loves you, who has a plan for your life. Go and tell. Go and tell. They're going to sing this song this morning and lead us in a time of worship. Maybe commit your heart to prayer this morning. Maybe the Lord's moving on you. Maybe something during the worship time, during the, the exhortation, during the giving time, during the message this morning, something's touched your heart and you're wrestling with it this morning. You're wondering, you're asking the Lord for clarity and understanding. Maybe it's for salvation. Maybe it's to help you get through another day because something's going on, something's difficult in your life and you need God's intervention. Maybe it's to give you wisdom for a circumstance. That's God's move upon you. And that's why we talk about the importance of the body of Christ, the importance of being together in a church that others can stand with us and pray with us and seek the Lord with us. So maybe that's you as we, as we worship and lift our voice in song this morning. You need prayer. I'm going to invite you to come. Maybe some of our prayer leaders, if you would come and just be here at the front to welcome people who may come this morning. Stand and let's lift our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Let's lift our hands to Him in worship, our voices to Him in song. If you're struggling this morning, you're in a difficult spot, maybe you just want to come and worship. Maybe you want to sit at His feet a little while to hear Him speak to you, to go and tell, to hear His commission in your life. Maybe that's your time this morning. God wants to speak to you and minister to you today as we pray. Let's seek Him together in this congregation this morning. Come, let's pray together.